Welcome to Overcoming the Odds podcast. I'm your host, Josh Coyne. On this episode of Overcoming the Odds podcast, I talk to Sarah Bingham about being misdiagnosed, living with chronic pain, and how sometimes sleepless nights can lead to creating wonderful art and maybe even writing a book. Stay tuned. This podcast is brought to you by Gaming VPN, a VPN that I use, actually I built, for gaming and streaming. So if you don't have a VPN, get Gaming VPN on iOS. start off, you know, like we talked about on the phone, I just wanted to go over you know, what, just start, start from the beginning for me. Basically, you and I had this conversation and you gave me a great like high level intro and, you know, some more details as well. And I, I really think that that was, that's perfect, right? That's kind of what I'm looking for is like your overall story, where you are now, and then where you'll be in the future or hope to be. And then simultaneously, you know, what has come out of this? That's good. Like you were talking about painting now and like, you know, being able to influence or help other people at the same time. And like, obviously stuff like this has come along. Um, granted, you know, this, this is, this is nothing compared to what you've also, you know, been into and, and talked to other people about, but, um, regardless, we still wouldn't have talked otherwise, you know, I mean, maybe in the future I might meet you somewhere along the line at Mary's place or whatever, but who knows when. Uh, also, thank you to my sister, Mary. She is the expert, as you know, Josh, in connecting people and thinking of how things can go together. And I always appreciate that she is uh, looking out for me and thinking of ways to, to share my story and other people's stories. She actually is the person who first saw one of my paintings, my my mother was had it at her house to frame it. She likes to pick out uh, matting and frames and, and things like that. And she had that to, to work on for framing. And Mary saw it and said, what is this? And my mother explained to her that, well, your sister Sarah's taken up painting in the middle of the night. And this is one of her paintings. And Mary was the one who said, you need to have people see this. And it really hadn't occurred to me that anybody else other than me would perhaps want to look at this art. Sure. Um, so anyway, I'd love, I mean, I'd side love to, note about Mary. You know, I'd love to at some point too in this call, see what that, I mean, is the painting behind you one of yours? Uh, yes, both of those are mine. Um, and I have created a bunch of other ones and i can certainly send you some more you can check out my website yeah, i've got some absolutely. some images there um so in terms of my story i was kind of going along in life and had reached middle age and thought okay this this is my life and this is how it is and it's a good life and i'm happy and then i got sick and the first thing that happened was I was outside gardening, which is one of my passions. I'm not particularly good at it, but I do enjoy it. And I had headed outside to, to do some trimming of a, of a vine. And I went out without any shoes on, which is kind of usual for me. But my wife did see me with pruners in my hand and said, you're not really in your gardening clothes. And I said, don't worry about it. I'll be fine. Well, she's right about many, many things. And, um, Isn't that the worst? <laughs> I know. The worst. I sometimes just want to be right. Yeah. Just once. Yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I wound up dropping these pruning shears into the top of my foot and uh, wound up needing stitches and all sorts of things. And it became infected, badly infected. And it, it took a long time for it to finally clear up. And once it finally cleared up, I was still having trouble. I was really, really tired. And my doctor discovered that I was severely iron deficient. So I was sent for iron infusions and I wound up being allergic to the iron infusions. And when I was finally recovering from all of that, I woke up one morning and thought, oh, I feel awful. I think I have a bladder infection. 
And I'd only ever had one before and it had been years before, but you kind of remember that pain. And I think it's something like well over 50% of women have had at least one UTI in their lives. And you don't forget that, that kind of pain. So I thought this is what it is. I, and of course it's the weekend and I'll go see the doctor first thing on Monday. Well, it turned out it wasn't a bladder infection. And I was ultimately diagnosed with something called interstitial cystitis, which is essentially, it feels like you have a terrible bladder infection 24 hours a day. Okay. And that's, that's horrible. It's, it's really, it, it, and, and I know there are many, many terrible illnesses and diseases that people can have. Um, I read something in, I think it was Prevention Magazine that was listing the top 10 most painful conditions that people can have ranked by doctors and interstitial cystitis was in the top five um, above things like pain from chemo treatments and cancer and all of that. So it's, re it's really a, a horrible horrible condition. And then I wound up developing other mysterious symptoms. And it it felt kind of like I was in this whirlpool being sucked down and no one could figure out what was wrong with me. I ultimately found a care team, what I call my care team, of people in a variety of different specialists. Some are doctors, some are nurse practitioners, some are complementary medicine providers who have helped me and they have diagnosed me and treated me. And I'm finally in a stage where I would consider myself well managed. There is no cure. There will never be a cure, and that is a hard thing to accept. But as you and I had discussed before, one positive that can come out of this is that when I was at my worst, I, I was essentially heading towards suicidal. I, I couldn't get a break from the pain. I, I was getting no sleep. It was terrible. And I would wander the house in the middle of the night because sitting down hurt, lying down hurt, nothing helped. And the cats would trail after me. We have three cats that we live with and they would trail after me. And I thought there must be something that I can do other than crying and walking around the house. And that is when I took up uh, art and when I returned to creative writing, which I hadn't done for years. And ultimately I wound up with art shows. I have a book that's been published and I feel like something positive from all of that is that I've been able to help some other people. I've heard from other people who have similar conditions. Um, some of them are, are ladies all the way from Australia and how they got my book, I'm not sure, but they did. <laughs> but they did. And I feel like I've been able to be helpful to people who are starting their own journey, who are at that same, it's two in the morning, I'm in pain and I don't know what to do. So I try to respond to people, um, both who reach out to me and then also on various discussion boards on social media and that sort of thing, when people are asking questions, because I was once one of those people who was desperate for answers and I wanna try to be, be helpful to other people. But my life right now is dramatically different than it was when I first became ill. And I think like a lot of people who first start to have symptoms, you think, oh, there's something that's wrong. Someone's going to figure it out and they're going to fix it. <laughs> and then I'll go back to, to normal. And there, there is no going back to normal for some of us. Time is different for me now because of the time that I spend sleeping, whether it's at night or naps. Time is different because I have to build in time when I go to treatments with complementary medicine providers. Time is different because I have to spend time arranging my daily pills and supplements and doing the stretches and the other things that I need to do to, to make sure that I continue to function. And I'm not able to work full time any longer. And 
that was a really hard part for me in terms of my identity because I'm a community college professor and it is a job that I absolutely love. And the students are so inspiring and I just can't express how much I enjoy working with them. And can you do that um, like part-time these days? Yes. So I'm on reduced hours because of medical conditions and I'm, I'm grateful that I'm able to do that. So I continue in a part-time capacity and I'm very glad that I, I have that opportunity. It is just something that I, I know I've talked to other people who are also now part-time as opposed to full-time. There are in academia and especially where I work, there are very few people who are part-time. There are people who are hired as adjunct instructors to teach one class at a time, but there are very few people who are full-time professors who are now working a part-time schedule. So it can be hard because people oftentimes will forget, oh, right, she's part-time. Right. I can see that being an issue because then they would schedule you for different things or, or, or want you to be at meetings or whatever faculty issues there are. Exactly. Exactly. So the expectations are, are often for full-time people. And I have to sort of strike that balance between I want to be fair to myself because I'm being paid for part-time hours. So, and that's what I need health-wise. So we need to stick with that. But I also don't want to be the whiny person who is always saying, but wait, I'm part-time. <laughs> so that was a, that has been a, an ongoing challenge for me. And that's not to say, I mean, my, my workplace has been great about, about working with me. That's more on me. Going back to, um, the, you were talking about like the top 10 pain lists that you had read, right? So you said the first few were like things people have heard of mostly, right? Like a cancer, you got chemo, you've got, you know, whatever, whatever else is there. And I, and I assumed that majority of the people have heard of these, these ailments, issues, diseases, whatever it might be that were causing that pain. But then you get to like number five or, you know, number four, number six, and then here's where you fall into there. And I wonder how many people have never heard of such a thing and realize I mean, you you included, right? Until this happened to you, you've never heard of this. Never heard of it. Never heard of it. Had no idea. And I'm I'm an educated person who reads a lot. <laughs> so so how can we expect just general population to to know all of these different things? We can't. So then, how did I mean? You talked to me on the phone. You said that there was like you know multiple diagnoses prior to an actual. Not, I want to say an actual diagnosis, but one that seems to work, right? One that seems to be able to be treated. So the question there is, you know, how did you get to figuring this diagnosis out specifically after all the other ones were, were not working for you? The, the short version is I, I have what I oftentimes refer to as my secret weapon, and that is my wife. She is not only a wonderful support but she is also an organic chemist. Oh, there you go. Okay, that helps a lot. And Real dummy you married there. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know, right. So she is, is a, a professor as well, so she teaches organic chemistry. But I have seen how in more than one medical situation, providers change their language, sometimes even the way that they hold themselves and are looking at me. When I say my wife is an organic chemist, especially when she's with me, it's almost as if they think, oh, here is a person who understands my world and we can communicate with each other in a different way. So if she were here with me right now, and she's not, she'll be home in a little while, but if she were here right now, she'd say, oh, honey, you're overplaying my role in all of this. Um, you were the one who, who really were motivated, you were motivated and figured things out. But I am absolutely convinced that having her was key. 
So I think when I look at my list of total diagnoses that I've gotten throughout this journey, it's well over 20. Some of them are, are just not the case. We think that the, the overarching issue is a mast cell disorder of some sort. And I have a specialist now who is treating me for that and he's part of my care team. And I ultimately got to him thanks to my primary care provider who would say to me very honestly, which I so appreciated, she would say, Sarah, I, I don't know what's wrong with you. You are one of the most complicated cases I've had in my, my whole career, but we, we're going to figure this out. And she did not bat an eye when I would bring in research articles. I mean, I'm an academic. I, I, I read things. I'm, I'm not trained in the medical field, but I know how to find articles and research things. So she was would always welcome the ideas that I had. And she ultimately found the specialist to refer me to. It required a referral and waiting six months and all of this sort of thing. But he has been very, very, very helpful to me. And I think that along the way, I found other people who were very helpful to me because I just, persistence is, if, if, if my friends were here and my colleagues, they would probably, well, I'm not sure exactly what they'd tell you, but they would probably work in the word persistence at some point. And I don't give up. And I would research things at one in the morning, in three in the morning. I would find people to go see. If I went to see a doctor and they were not helpful to me, I would keep going and find the next one. And I know that I am lucky because I have health insurance and am able to do that. But some of the people that I saw don't take health insurance. It's all out of pocket. So again, I know I'm lucky because I had the resources to be able to do that. Um, but I learned along the way that there are many of us, you've probably heard this saying, doctors have told me many times that in medical school, they're told if you hear hoofbeats, think horses, not zebras. So when you're learning in medical school about all of these rare things, that's probably not what is in front of you. It's probably a run-of-the-mill type thing. Well, there are more of us zebras out there than one would think. <laughs> I am grateful to the, to the doctors who are willing to say, I don't know. And not all of them will do that. No, they won't. And, and without going down a rabbit hole of American healthcare and doctors and stuff, um, I've really found that the doctors who don't solely rely on medical testing and imaging are really the best, right? The people that, in my experience, the ones who look at you, listen to you, touch you, experience you, and really listen to what you have to say and what you're going through, are truly the best doctors that there are these days. And usually it takes them, usually, they're usually older people, quite honestly, you know, because they had to deal with actual patients in person for years and not just, not just, oh, let's get an EKG and let's get a pulmonary function test and take some blood work and see what happens. You know, it's, it's, it's a listening, learning of your patient and experience that goes with it, not just the teachings that they're doing today with, with machines and testing, you know? So that's my... Uh, no, I, I am with you, Josh. And something that you said that really resonated with me was look at you and listen. The doctors who will look at you and listen. I lose faith very quickly when I walk into an office and the doctor or care provider will only look at the screen while typing. Oh yeah, it's, it's asinine. It's completely, it's inappropriate. And, you know, I, I'm with you 100%. I, without going on another tangent, I broke my shoulder like a year and a half ago in a bunch of places. And there's a bunch, there's two plates in there and 18 screws now. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it works. I can, I can move it. Right. So that's good. But, um, I went to a surgeon and he, you know, fixed it up for me. And then on the follow-ups, he wouldn't look at me and he wouldn't look at me at all. He wouldn't touch it. He wouldn't like look at the shoulder, like nothing. So I'm in this sling, can't move him. any, any part of this whole side of my body is just not mobile. And he would just talk into his whatever device dictation machine on the computer. And then he would leave and like, look at the x-rays only. And I'm, 
sitting there like, all right, so how much more time is this going to take to heal? Like, he was just rude, to be honest, just completely rude. So I got rid of him and found a better doctor who was also, uh, you know, specialized in shoulder, shoulder surgeries. And, and that guy was much better, you know, much better. Um, and, and over, overall, my, um, my father-in-law is a retired GI, right? Like gastroenterologist. And he was the president of, um, I believe St. Francis in Delaware. Um, and he, he's a super smart man. He's just, you know, he's 82 years old or 81 years old. And he is not the kind of doctor who looks at the, the solely based on the testing, right. And the imaging and, and the, you know, whatever they do for, for GI doctors, right. They have, um, colonoscopies and the whole deal. Like, yeah, you need that, but also you have to listen to your patient, right. And you have to really feel and talk about and see what's going on. And his patients, I mean, he's retired now, but his patients all loved him. And, um, you know, he was a, he is an exceptional doctor, even though he's retired, he's still like very active in the medical community and, and, and re- very avid reader and always wants to know what's going on with me and, you know, my wife and the whole family, they go to him to, to talk about whatever ails them, no matter what it is. And, you know, and it's, and it's great because he's that kind of doctor who listens and has a real solution, not just let's take, let's take a test and see how the test turns out. Yes. And the, the listening piece, I'm, I'm glad that you're talking about that because I've, I've certainly learned through my own experience and then also listening to many other women talk about how the medical system is really good at times at gaslighting women, especially in terms of your pain, <laughs> you know, and it might be all in your head. Um, I did have one doctor who suggested that every symptom that I had could be explained by psychological issues. And right. So, you know, that was less than encouraging. And I was furious. And my secret weapon, my wife, who just got home, who perhaps will come over and say hello in a moment. um, She was with me at that appointment. And she just stopped the conversation and escorted me from the office. And so she, she truly is the secret weapon. Yeah. 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 And, and it, and it really helps to have like a patient advocate with you, you know, like your wife, for example, my wife, for example, if I've ever gotten into, you know, uh, something like my shoulder, there was an accident. I did that my, my fault, but she was there to help me. You know, she was there to talk to the doctors for me. Um, you know, and she has, a medical background only because of her father, right? She's not, she's a, she, she's a very smart woman, but she's not formally trained in medicine in any way, shape or form, but she's not an idiot either. And she's listened to her, her dad her entire life and, you know, went to the hospital as like a a child and her mom ran the, um, uh, like the administrative department at the, at the hospital there and like did all these things. So she's been involved for years and knows her way around the system, you know? And, um, I, I have some experience just based on, you know, what I've been dealing with my entire life of, of doctors and medical fields and physicians. But when you're not thinking clearly because you're in pain, it's great to have somebody who is thinking clearly that has a background in it, you know, with you. And whenever I talk to other people who are dealing with either interstitial cystitis or a mast cell issue or some kind of mysterious thing, one of my biggest pieces of advice is whenever possible, take someone with you to your appointment. And of course, in the era of COVID, that is oftentimes not possible. And right. And I feel for people who are in the hospital or really undergoing any kind of treatment who are not able to have an advocate with them. Yeah. Yeah. It's, there was a many years ago, maybe let's call it five. It wasn't even that many, five years ago, I had a blockage in my intestine that was, um, I was born with a blockage in my intestine. They cut a lot of it out. I have like minimal intestine at this point, but there's a lot of scar tissue. I mean, my scar is like, I mean, I could show you it's my entire my side to side. Um, and thankfully I have never had to be, never had to have surgery since first couple days of, of birth of life. Um, but there's still stuff in there. The scar tissue that gets stuck and eventually yeah. you get a blockage, adhesions, right? So, right? Isn't that... Adhesions, exactly. Yeah. So long story short, um, we went to the hospital and really all I need to get rid of this blockage usually is just fluid, like IV fluid. And then it'll usually just clear itself out. And 
Um, I'm not asking for drugs, you know, I'm not drug seeking anyway, because I actually want to feel the pain. If the pain goes away, guess what? Blockage is gone. If I can't feel it, I'm not going to be able to know. Additionally, on top of that, one of the, uh, the first things you don't give a patient who has a intestinal blockage is pain medication because it's opioids stop your gut. Yep. Right. That's, that's, a, that's like medical school 101. So we're in the hospital and the, I don't even know who it was. Let's call him the nurse, somebody or other comes in and says, all right, well, you see you have a blockage. Why do you think that? I go through the story of why I think that. And he's like, all right, we're going to get you some morphine, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, I don't want, I don't want morphine. I never said I wanted that to begin with. He says, okay, fine. He leaves. He sends somebody else back in with like a morphine drip ready to go into my system here. And my wife's like, wait a minute, come on. So she, she leaves me in the, the hospital room, goes out to the hallway with this guy and says, look, how dumb do you have to be? This is literally medical school 101. You don't give a patient with a blocked intestine or any type of um, non-moving bowel more opioids or any type of opioid to stop it even further. You're going to impact the bowel. And obviously she was right and they realized their, their error and just gave me fluid. And in 20 minutes I was fine and went home. So it, it's just, if, had she have not been there, I wouldn't have asked because I just asked for fluid and they'd come with a bag of stuff. I didn't ask again what was in it. Right. Right. And you feel like hell at that point, you know? Right. You're not thinking about step-by-step treatments. You just need somebody to help you. Absolutely. So so moving back to my questions here, the, the couple things I wrote down. So I want to talk to you about your book, right? So like, What's the book about? How'd you get to that point? And I mean, obviously you've been up at night and not sleeping and in pain. So like, if you're not going to sleep, you might as well be productive, I guess. <laughs> that was basically my idea. Yes. Um, definitely better to focus on something that you could do or produce. So I started writing again, and I wound up with a variety of pieces published in different journals, um, online and print. Um, And multiple people said, you really ought to put together a collection. So what I wound up doing was, um, and did the book arrive, by the way? Did you get it yet? It has not. I I haven't checked the mail today, though, but it has not arrived as of now. Okay. Well, it looks like this. This is one of my paintings on the front. And it has, uh, it's a collection of poems and essays that is essentially a memoir. So it builds up to the part about illness. But my goal with it was to try and humanize the overall experience of pain and chronic illness because I'm hoping that, and I've heard that this happens, as people read it, they can relate to you and your life experiences that you had as a child or as a young adult, etc. And then even if they haven't had intense pain or a significant health issue, they're already invested in your story. So by the time they get to those final sections, hopefully it can not only build empathy, but also serve as a comfort for people who are feeling really alone in this journey. And I know that um, even from the, the brief time that you and I have talked, you have a very supportive spouse. I have a very supportive spouse. I've got family that's behind me. I have colleagues who are great. I have friends who are very supportive. Not everybody has that. Um, And especially women, particularly who have interstitial cystitis. And then another thing I was diagnosed with is called vulvodynia, which essentially means that you feel as if your whole vulva is on fire all of the time. When you told me that, I just, I couldn't imagine, like I I couldn't imagine that kind of pain. I mean, I, I had one really bad UTI years ago because I had, I was on, um, uh, intravenous antibiotics and it killed everything in my system, but it, that specifically lasted, that UTI lasted like three months. Like it hurt four months 
to the point where I was like, I'm just not going to pee. I'm just going to hold it as long as I can. I'm just going to hold this until I absolutely can't. So I, to, to have that pain 24-7, I, I mean, I feel for you. That's, that's got to be the worst. It, it is truly horrible. And I am immensely grateful that I have medications and treatments that have significantly brought that pain down. So I know there are people who, who don't have an experience with chronic illness who are very anxious for there to be a cure. Well, Sarah, when are you going to be, you know, does somebody have a cure? When, when is this going to be done? <laughs> it's not. <laughs> it's not. But I am grateful that instead of living my life with flares where I would be at an eight or nine on the pain scale, and I would never say 10, because if I hit 10, I was done. <laughs> and I was very clear about that. When it's 10, you, I'm, I'm out. Um, so I, I am happy that instead of flares that are at an eight or nine all of the time, I can be down at a, a one. I can maybe have flares that go to a three or four instead of the eight or nine. And I have things that will help with that. So I have medications, I have supplements. Um, here in Maryland, we have uh, medical cannabis cards. I got one. I wasn't asked about too that. That was on my list of, of questions for you as well. Yeah, um, super grateful for that. Um, I have found that the under the tongue tinctures work well for me. And it isn't, I have some that I use regularly that are basically anti-inflammatory, I would say is the best kind of benefit that they bring. And then I have some others for when there's a terrible flare. Um, it is pretty much the only thing that will bring it down. Back to, back to my shoulder issue, right? Like I didn't want to be on opioids, um, obviously for the stomach reasons, but also for the addictive reasons, right? Like I just didn't want to deal with that. But when you break your, any part of your body, especially in multiple places, and then they screw it back together in such a violent way, um, you need something. You need something and, and ibuprofen is not going to cut it. Right. So I was able to get some cream, like super high, high dose uh, THC cream. And then also some like five milligram, uh, like chocolate balls, like edibles. Oh yeah. Okay. That, the, Did they help? They helped a lot. Yeah. The, the, co the combined of the two, the combination of the two, like putting the cream on my shoulder was great, but only lasted two hours. So I would put it on there. And then by the time the, the ball, like the little gum ball, whatever kicked in, this would go away. The cream would go away. So it kind of balanced itself out. And it, it did help a lot. I mean, it, it helped immensely. That was going to be one of my questions for you too. Is like, all right, granted, it's a sensitive area. So I don't know if you can even put the cream on, on the sensitive area, right? Because it's affecting you. Because like, <laughs> I don't know, it doesn't say in the label, don't use it there. I don't know. <laughs> no, but it worked for me. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, those of us who've had vulvodynia have tried. I mean, the, the treatments are really you read about them and you think is that really what people do so i'll, I'll tell you one of the treatments <clears throat> was capsaicin cream so capsaicin the stuff in uh, chili peppers that burns your tongue it it does that to any mucous membrane <laughs> well there is a an actual biological process where you use that and it helps to reduce pain because of substances that are released and i am not a doctor so i'm not explaining it almost seems well. to me but like oh you have an your eye your eye hurts try this pepper spray like it's it seems like the worst idea possible I, it is um it sounds as if when I when I tell people about some of these treatments, I, I had a doctor and then also a friend who said, Sarah, I need, I'm so sorry, I need you to stop. I can't, I can't even, I, ca I cannot listen to that. Um, one of my doctors who is identifies as male said, I'm a guy and I, I can't listen to that. <laughs> I can't imagine 
being a woman and listening and having that happen. But I think it, what it really does to me when I when I think back to all of the treatments that I went through, um, and with interstitial cystitis, I learned things like how to catheterize myself. Uh, because I would have to do bladder installations on a regular basis, and they let us do them at home because my wife is an organic chemist and would mix everything up, and I would catheterize myself, and in it goes, and all of these skills I never thought I would have. When I look back on all of that, I think it really is, I think, a testament to how much pain people are in that they are willing to try these treatments absolutely so and anything works right that's the whole point like anything whatever and, it is it's and i've work. used this it, it can't right. be worse than and the way I, I feel right i mean that's right. how it is right and as i said to several of my providers if somebody that i went to and, and had some level of trust in told me to go stand out in the rain and hop up and down on one foot and you know do whatever i would have tried it I tried everything and I am very, very grateful to be years beyond that capsaicin cream. Um, I'm well over a year past bladder installations. Um, I tried um, the, the patches and things of, of that nature, but I am really glad to, um, it's, I've been several years with no opioids. So I, but I, I was happy to try them. Um, for me, they mainly just made me, it didn't, for me, my experience was it didn't take away the pain. It made me care less about the pain. So I, I really look forward to the day when after the pandemic, because clearly we need to address the pandemic, but after the pandemic, I really think that we are so in need of more pain treatment options for people. There simply aren't enough. Yeah. And, and that's one of the reasons, too, that I feel like that the medical marijuana has helped a lot of people. Right. And people, myself included, yourself included, I wouldn't have thought of it 10 years ago. Probably wouldn't have thought of it at all ten years ago. Um, if I if this had happened to me then, you know, I, I wouldn't have bothered. Um, I would have just taken the opioids or you know whatever and fell asleep and deal with it as it comes, you know. And if there was addiction that happened, then that's the that's the side effect, I guess, right? But um, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have thought twice to just take all the pills they gave me. Okay. But because we are where we are and we know what we know, I took like the first day just to get rid of the, some of the, the edge of surgery. And then that was it. The rest of the time was just marijuana and ibuprofen. Mm -hmm. And I think that speaks to the need for a range of options because clearly opioids in certain forms are helpful and necessary and needed. Um, and I feel for the people who have found pain relief through opioids who are now having to deal with all of these restrictions on on what and i understand why the restrictions are there but if you're somebody who lives with chronic pain and that's the only thing that's worked for you um that's a really horrible position to be in so i look forward to having options for people so that hopefully one day if somebody is diagnosed with say vulvodynia they are not going to be told, let's try capsaicin cream. Right. Or, I mean, Tiger Bomb. Like, why would you do that? You know? I am past it. I am past it. And I think that that is one thing I can do for other people who are in those early, awful days or weeks or months where you think, wow, nothing is working. And I have had multiple providers say to me that I am a very compliant patient and they don't mean that as in I sit there and just agree with everything they say because they would decidedly tell you that's not the case. But in terms of compliance, if you say, try this medication, try this treatment, what about this? What about that? Look into this. I will try all of it. 
And I am really glad that I did that because the answers seem to be quite individualized for people. What works for one person doesn't work for somebody else. Like with, with you, you used the um, cannabis cream and it worked really well for your shoulder. I couldn't find a, a, a cream-based product that really worked well for me. Um, but, you know, everybody's different. So we, we need a, a range of options. And I wish there was a way for people to be able to access the care that they needed from people, like you said, who will look at you and listen to you. And um, I, I also, right, right. I also benefit from my secret weapon wife because because she's a chemist. We change one variable at a time. And at first, it takes forever, right. but <laughs> it does, it, it does. And at the beginning, I railed against that idea because I thought, for the love of God, I'm in so much pain. Let's just try all of it. But she is very wise. And that is the only way you can tell what is truly helping or what is truly causing a side effect. So one variable at a time is something else I recommend. What's the future at this point for you? Like what's, what's the next steps? What's not just for your own care, you know, but like for you personally and helping others or, or not. I mean, you can say, you know, I don't want to deal with the people anymore. I'm done. You know, I want my, my life back. I, I don't have, I think that's perhaps something else that being ill has changed for me. I have always been a very, very focused on accomplishing things and helping people and getting things done. That's definitely been a focus for me. But once you become ill, especially if you have an illness that involves the time aspect and the need for lots of sleep, you can't, you, there simply isn't enough time to do all of the things that I want to do. There never is, right? That's kind of like a, a problem with humanity. It, exactly, right? It's a general life problem. So I think that being ill really taught me how to be happy. Well, no, content is a better word. Let's go with content because content is really great how to be content in small moments. And I think I take a lot more joy from those small moments than I did before I was ill. And that helped prepare me, ironically, for the pandemic. While I never want anybody else to die from this, and it's horrible and it's wrecked people's lives and careers and families and homes, I am somebody who has actually done well in the pandemic. And I don't mean well as in financially, but well as in mentally and physically, because as somebody who has trouble with sitting and the car is the worst, like right now I'm sitting and talking to you, but I'm in my comfortable chair at home that has one of my special ordered pads on it that makes it comfortable yeah, for me, you know, to sit here, without, yeah. right? In the car, anything that moves, that is the worst for anybody who has any of those sort of IC-like diagnoses. So being home has been great. And I'm lucky because I have a happy home with, we've got cats we share our house with, and I love my wife and we have a great relationship. And like the other day, we were sitting here, working on a puzzle together, we finally figured out, I don't know if you live with cats or not. We like to do, okay, you have one cat, right. So we have three and we never thought we could do a puzzle here because they would, you know, the pieces would disappear, yeah. right. They take but, them and they throw them on the floor. Exactly. So we thought we only ever in, in 20 years plus together, we'd never done a puzzle in our house. We'd only ever done puzzles if we'd been on vacation somewhere. And we finally discovered that we could, if we kept it to 500 pieces or less so that we could get it done in one sitting. So we were doing a puzzle the other day and I'd had um, 
a bad night the night before and had needed some of my flare medications and was achy and all of that. So I wasn't feeling physically great, but I didn't have to be anywhere. And the person that I love the most is sitting here with me and we've got our cats and we're working on a puzzle and there's sunshine outside. And I thought, I am just so content right now. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great way to look at it. Cause you know, it could have been a hell of a lot worse. And that's an excellent way to look at it. It's like, you're thankful for where you are. You're thankful for what you have. And to be able to reflect on that and take that minute and actually enjoy it and understand it. Uh, I mean, you know, without sounding corny, it's priceless. You know, it's great. You can't, you, you just, you have to do that sometimes. And a lot of people just don't, even if, even if their circumstances are total shit, there is something that they can, that everybody can be grateful for in a day, whether it's the bird on the window or just, you know, let your feet hit the ground that morning, you know, like that's something to take away. And it's really nice that you were able to experience that and feel that, you know, and, and take the moment and realize it too. And I, I think it's also part of the kinds of practices that I've tried to bring into my life, like a gratitude journal. I used to do one daily, but that was a little too much. So now I, I do it once a week. It could, and be, it could be a gratitude tweet. It's much, <laughs> much quicker. <laughs> there we go. There it's we like go. 50 characters or less. <laughs> And I have uh, my students actually in uh, one of the classes I teach is called educational psychology and we keep gratitude journals in there as well. Um, just brief, very, very, very brief, but they, they like that and it benefits me and I meditate and I try to go outside and do some walking is pretty much the extent of the exercise that I can comfortably do, but try to get outside, have some sunshine, walk, um, all very, very helpful parts of just trying to be more mindful of things. And I have found that to be helpful. Um, at the very beginning, when I became sick, there is a, a book called um, You Are Not Your Pain. And it is written by two people who live with chronic pain and it comes with an accompanying CD of guided meditations. And I got this and I was in terrible, terrible pain. And I thought I, I was, I was willing to try it, but I thought, yeah, right. You know, 10 minutes of meditation is going to do Jack for this, <laughs> but I That's tried. Everybody thinks, right? You always think, <laughs> but I, tried I, I can it. sit still for 10 minutes. How am I, how's this going to help me? All this, right. All these things go in your head. Right. Right. Yeah. But and I then? tried it. And I re and especially because it was specifically geared towards pain, I realized that I would get in my recliner, which is the one comfortable place I could kind of be. And for just a few minutes, it would take the pain just a little bit down. Just moving it a little bit makes such a huge difference. So when my own book came out, um, I sent a copy to the woman who wrote it and said, uh, thank you so much. Your book made a big difference for me. I mean, you're right. Meditation, people that haven't done it, myself included, up until I started doing it, um, you know, you think it's hooey and there's no reason it's going to work for me. I, right. I don't want to sit still. I can't sit still. I can't <laughs> clear my mind long enough. Yeah. This person's voice is annoying. Yes. Whatever it might be, you know, like yeah. I can't think clearly without other interruptions in my day, whether it's like the cat or like the outside world or emails or whatever the heck it is. And then you do it. And then you realize, huh, I didn't think about anything except for that. Even if it was for half the time that you did the, the, the meditation and then you feel how relaxed you are afterwards. Yes. You know, yes. and that, that's something that people just don't understand until they do it. And it's it's just an amazing thing. So good on and you. And it doesn't for, have to be an hour long. You know, some people no. think you have to sit there on some sort of special pillow and, you know, whatever. I get in my my recliner. I know that isn't the traditional way to do one's meditation, but it works for me. I like the Insight Timer app. I don't know if you've ever tried that. I have heard of it. I've never tried it though. I've definitely heard of it. It is pretty much the only app that I actually purposefully added to my phone, um, which says something. So um, 
the nice thing about Insight Timer is that there there are some things to that if you want more advanced stuff you can pay for, but the you can pick time a guided meditation by time even as short as five minutes, and you just listen to it and get on with your day. And I always know that when I am feeling pissy, uh, that is the time that I need to find the Insight Timer app and yeah. do something. Five minutes of self. Yes. <laughs> right. Will help everyone, including me. <laughs> Absolutely. Good point. Even the cats. The cat yes. like, I'm going to jump on your, I'm going to jump on your lap. You're going to throw me off. Now I can actually stay on your lap. This is true. Yeah. This is true. Yeah. Um, so how can people get your book and where can we find your art and tell us about any other links or what have you want that you want that you want to? Great. Okay. So the book is available on bookshop.org. They build themselves as the Amazon alternative to uh, book shopping and it supports independent bookstores. So it's available on bookshop.org and also on Amazon. Um, I have a Facebook page, Sarah Bigham uh, author Facebook page that you can like and follow. And my website is sgbigham.com. Um, and again, much, much appreciation for, for you coming on this. So thank you. Of course. Good luck to you. Nice you to too. meet you. You as well. Have okay. a great night. Bye-bye. Bye. A big thank you to Sarah. And obviously a big thank you to Mary, also her sister who put me in touch with Sarah. Um, crazy story, huh? To have to deal with that kind of pain, and especially from that region of your body. Hopefully her story inspires you or helps you in some way. You know, that's the goal here at the Overcoming the Odds podcast. Um, if you or someone you know might be a fit to talk to me and we can get them on the show, then please, please, please reach out to me. Uh, you can go to my website, overcomingtheodds.co and hit the contact button and then write me a little email and maybe we can get you on the show. Overcomingtheodds.co. So thank you again to my friend, Sarah, for being my guinea pig of the uh, first ever podcast episode of Overcome the Odds. So thank you for being that person. Anyway, I hope all is well with you where you are. Tell your friends about the podcast and we'll see you in the next one. Take care. This has been a Robot Mouse production. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please give me a four-star rating and tell your friends.